We're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Total Celebrity segment. And, you know, uh, an amazing story. I mean, a story that I'm just blown away by. The first blind contestant and winner of a TV cooking show, Master Chef, won't let the rare disease that caused her blindness to stop her pursuing her dreams. So I'm excited to welcome the program, Chef Christine and also Dr. Williams. Guys, thanks for stopping by. How are you today? We're good. Thank you so much for having us. Absolutely. So, Christine, can you tell us how you first learned of your diagnosis? Sure. It started when I was 20 years old. First, it was blurriness in one eye and then eventually blurriness in the other eye. Uh, initially, I was misdiagnosed with MS. And then several years later, I found a neurologist that understood me and a healthcare team that finally correctly diagnosed me with NMOSD, which is short for neuromyelitis optica spectrum disorder. All right. And so I'm going to ask Dr. Williams, what is neuromyelitis optica spectrum disorder? A good thing for early in the morning to, to, to ask that question. <laughs> absolutely. So that pronunciation was absolutely perfect. So NMOSD is a rare autoimmune condition where the immune system essentially attacks the nerves. The nerves of the eye are most commonly affected and symptoms can result um, in blindness or loss of vision. Also, the spinal cord is affected so people can have numbness and tingling or paralysis. Um, it affects about 10 to 15,000 people in the United States. And one of the reasons that we have decided to partner with Horizon Therapeutics for the NMOSD Won't Stop Me campaign is because sometimes the symptoms are irreversible. So we want to raise awareness so that people can be diagnosed and brought to medical attention early so that they can can be treated and potentially prevent some disability. Now, Christine, how did you move forward and become so unstoppable in light of the challenges you faced? Well, initially it was difficult. Uh, it's human nature, I think, to go through this grieving process when you lose your vision or lose some independence. And well, when I was correctly diagnosed and put on a um, treatment plan that helped me, uh, I was able to kind of pick myself up and move forward. So I taught myself how to cook again in the kitchen with less vision. I learned how to read Braille. I learned orientation mobility with a white cane and then how to navigate the Houston public transportation system, which wasn't easy to go back to school. Uh, went back to school, did a complete career change, uh, got back in the kitchen and kept cooking so that I could continue to be uh, independent and then decided to audition for uh, MasterChef. And then since then, winning that uh, season in 2012 really launched my culinary career. So for me, it's really important to be an encouragement to other people to share their own story and show that it's possible to live with this disease and also ful uh, fulfill all of your dreams and live your life to the fullest. So I encourage people to visit nmosdwon'tstopme.com to learn about other people's stories, connect with other patients with NMOSD, and of course, share their own unstoppable story. Chris Christine, how did it feel winning it? I mean, it had to feel so amazing. Because <laughs> once I'm sure once, I mean, you, it was definitely... once you got diagnosed, you must yeah. have felt like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to be able to cook again. I'm never going to do my passion yeah. again. And then you were able to overcome right. that and then win MasterChef. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was tough. I didn't know how I would live a quote unquote normal life again. I didn't know how independent I could be again or what my, my next move or my purpose would be in life. I felt like I was taking a lot of steps backwards. Uh, but to be able to compete on the show and then end up winning that season, it was definitely a surreal moment. Uh, I felt like I had to work 
two, three, four times as hard as other people to get to where I was. But I feel like I worked hard. I put my, you know, head down and just put my mind to it and then um, found a way to continue to do what I love to do. And then, and most importantly, though, is to now I've been given this platform to be an advocate for people living with NMOSD or disability or vision loss and show them that uh, they too can live a very fulfilling and accomplished life. And I think that's the most important thing, live that accomplished life. And you're such a role model. Uh, Dr. Williams, what advice do you have for patients with NMOSD community, for the, that community? Yeah, so the first piece of advice is you are your own best advocate, um, you know, and it's important to educate yourself to the best of your ability about your condition and to really engage in the healthcare process. You know, make sure that you're communicating with your healthcare providers if you're having issues and help to create the all, the best treatment plan for you. I think the second piece of advice is to join the community, right? So raising awareness is so important and this campaign is so important because we want people to know that they are not alone in this fight and in this struggle. And also we want them to hear about inspiring stories from amazing people like Christine, who have not only faced the same challenges they have, but have been able to overcome them and to accomplish their dreams and goals. So, um, you know, those are my two pieces of advice that I would give. And I think, uh, Dr. Williams, how passionate are you about uh, this community and working with them to be part of this? Absolutely. So, you know, I am a specialist in neuroimmunology, which includes NMOSD as well as multiple sclerosis. And as we discussed earlier, sometimes there's some overlap and people can be misdiagnosed with MS when they actually have NMOSD. So I'm very passionate about educating and empowering people living with these conditions um, to be their own best advocates and part of their healthcare team. You know, and I think that's the greatest uh, thing is when you are doing something you love and are passionate about, it doesn't feel like work. It feels like something and it, it's something you, you know you're making a difference. And congratulations to you for all the work you do, Dr. Williams. Christine, where can we learn more about the campaign and gain access to your recipes? Sure, you can visit the website nmosdwon'tstopme.com and that's where you can find resources, learn about the advocacy organizations that are part of this campaign. And of course, if you share your own unstoppable NMOSD story, you can get the chance to win a signed copy of my cookbook. And it's got comfort food recipes and a lot of the things that I did cook on MasterChef. And how important is to put equity in your being uh, uh, with the food you you eat, especially with the recipes you have and all that stuff as a chef. You know, we see so many things that are not healthy that we're intake. How important is that to you as a chef to be responsible? I mean, it's, I think it's important. And I think living life balanced is the most important thing. You know your body best. So, you know, if it's a day that you feel like eating a piece of cake will, meant, will mean more to you emotionally and mentally, then by all means do it. I mean, we shouldn't live on a diet where we're eating a slice of cake for every meal, but you know, whatever it does to make you feel better physically, but emotional and mentally as well is that's also important. So I think, you know, your body best, listen to yourself, listen to your gut on what it is that you want to eat. Well, I love hearing that because we can't just always be on this specific diet as I am always looking, I'm looking at that and what I'm eating more healthy, but you always have to have that cheat day or cheat meal or else you'll go crazy because there's so much good food out there. Where can people follow you social media wise? Are you on social media that people can connect with you as well? I am. I am. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, and my handle is the blind cook for all those. 
All right. And uh, any other new and projects? Also on a, Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Where you can find info on you as well. Oh, I was going to say, I'm also on Instagram um, as the nerdy neurologist. Awesome. So, okay. So I'm impressed you're branding yourself as well with this. And that's important because you're building this community and to build a community leads to tribe building and leads them to this huge success. Because once you bring a community together and they have the right resources together, there's no stopping that community from the strides and improvement that they can make because stories make people passionate, excited and everything. So I appreciate you both coming by today and talking about this tremendous cause. And I hope everyone reaches out to you guys. So thanks again for coming on the show. Yeah, you're welcome. All right, you're listening Thank and watching you. The Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Mike Velarde Show, and I'm excited to welcome to the program Mike Velarde. Mike, how are you? What's going on? Good, Neil. How are you? Doing great, and we have another great guest. Who's our guest? Yes, we do. Ed Lynch is with us. Ed, welcome to the show. Thanks, buddy. You're welcome. <laughs> you, got, you got a haircut like I did. All right, <laughs> yeah. so let's go. Let's go right into it. Basically, I guess, Ed, what do you what do you want to speak about? Local politics, national politics, everything's going crazy. The Ukraine, where you want to go with this? Yeah, I'm a wonk, so you could talk about anything. I'm versed in everything. I have my own podcast, so I'm always constantly talking about everything. All right, so let's talk about the Ukraine. What does that look like? And is is president uh, is the president making the right calls on this president? No, if he was making the right calls and he wasn't inept, then there wouldn't be a war right now. And it's the same thing with Zelensky. I mean, let's not forget, Ukraine is not exactly the bastion of democracy that everyone wants to pretend that it is right now. Yes, Zelensky's doing a great job. He is now, for the first time, being considered the Winston Churchill of modern era, of the modern era. But the truth is, I mean, prior to him... Um, actually doing anything with the war that's going on right now. Ukrainian currency was tanking at 11% it dropped versus the dollar. Um, it's worth 35 or 3.5 cents per dollar. The investment in Ukraine, they lost $446 million in investments. And uh, not for nothing, but, you know, Zelensky's a little crooked with giving every uh, company a tax raise in, in Ukraine, except for Igor Kolomoisky's company, and Igor is the biggest miner in uh, Ukraine, but also he was Zelensky's bigger supporter. Now let's look at last year. What Zelensky did was he shut down three TV stations that opposed him, that were opposite. Now, granted, they probably were Russian-leaning propaganda machines, but you know what about the free speech? So we're not talking a bastion of democracy. Sure, innocent people are getting slaughtered. That should not be the case. But you know, Ukraine is one of the um, biggest areas as far as, um, as child trafficking, as far as corruption with regard to uh, money laundering. And let's not forget Burisma Holdings is kind of located over there. And all of a sudden, it was yesterday that the uh, New York Times came out and said, hey, not for nothing, but maybe we should uh, take a look at uh, Hunter's laptop stuff here that's been going on. Okay, so that's your take on Ukraine is basically Zelensky and Biden are not doing the right thing. Mike, your thoughts? Well, you know, Biden took a lot of money for the Ukraine. I mean, I mean, this guy, you know, he he's on tape bragging about how he told the uh, they didn't fire the prosecutor. They weren't getting the billion dollars. I mean, Biden is so compromised. I, I, I mean, it, it's hard to believe he's our president. I mean, what he's done is treasonous in a lot of ways. 
He, I mean, they got taking money from China, taking money from Russia, taking money from Ukraine. I mean, how 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 could we ever get out of this? Well, barring all of that stuff, I mean, let, let's also take into consideration when we look at the amount of time that's being spent on it, the amount of news coverage. Um, did we hear anything when Kiev actually bombed the East Ukrainians, when they bombed their own people, the Ukrainian army did? Or how about when Kiev shut off um, all of the power and all of the food to Crimea? How about when Ukraine bombed the children's beach with cluster bombs? And, you know, no one wants to talk about that. Where, where is the bleeding heart liberals? And I'm not taking anything away from the atrocities that are going on now. Innocent people are getting killed, and that should not be the case. However, you know, I find it a bit strange that we didn't have the coverage of Yugoslavia, Serbia, Kosovo, Libya, Syria, Saudi Arabia, when they starved out all the people in, in, in Yemen, and, and all people were dying from starvation, which was really horrible. Uh, Iran, Iraq, not to, as I mentioned, you know, in Kiev, what they were doing. We heard nothing about that, but now we've got 24-7 coverage of, of this that's going on. And yeah, it's bad, but the death toll is nothing compared to those other areas that I just mentioned. So, so, so basically, based on what you're seeing, Ed, is what do you do, do, you, do you, as the United States to stop this war? Well, I mean, it's pretty easy. It's not just sanctions. I mean, yeah, that has to do with it. But sanctions don't mean anything if they don't have any teeth. And we're allowing Putin to basically finance his war by continuing to sell oil to Germany. So we're stopping a few things here and there, but it's all for show. I mean, carrot and stick diplomacy only works when they know that you're going to use the stick. And that's one of the biggest problems that we have. Look, I'm, I'm a, an opponent of, of baby Bush. I thought he was a terrible president. And I think the only thing that saved his presidency was 9-11. Was and because the rest of the world thought he was just crazy, that he could do something really insane at any time and blow everybody up, they were like, you know what? Uh, we're going to chill out a little bit. Same thing happened with Reagan. And the same thing happened with Trump. I mean, you know, when Trump's going around saying, yeah, look, not for nothing, you got a button, but mine's bigger and I'll use it. I mean, is that the best way to do diplomacy? Probably not. However, it works because people are scared that... We're not dangling that carrot that we're going to smack you with the stick. And that's one of the biggest problems we have. We can do anything we want right now, and none of it's going to mean anything until Putin knows that we're serious. And he knows that we're not serious. I mean, right now, you know, again, with all of the heartache that's going on now, the, the absolute 100% truth of the matter is, if not for this war going on in Russia, then Zelensky his presidency would have gone down as a horrible, horrible uh, failure, not to mention the same thing is going on with Biden right now. We're not talking about the gas prices going through the roof. We're barely talking about it. We're not talking about inflation being the highest that it's been in 40 years. We're not talking about the problem with illegal immigration. We're not talking with the problem of the supply chain anymore. We're not even talking about the evil, nasty COVID, which yes, people died from COVID, but they died at the percent of 1.2 percentage or 1.2% of, of people that get it actually died from it, which is the, is the exact same number as the mortality rate for the flu that we have every single year. So we're not talking about any of that stuff. And anytime that it does come up, we're looking at a situation where uh, Biden goes, well, it's because of Putin. Well, dude, not for nothing. Putin happened this year. What about last year? So, I mean, th this war is saving, is the saving grace right now for a failed um, administration with fail with uh, a 
a massive amount of failed policies. So that's the thing. And so if we don't intervene, if we don't show our power, what do you think Putin's going to do next? Whatever he wants. What would he conquer gonna, Ukraine? Is he going to be done or do you think he'll try somewhere else? Uh, he's not going to go to any NATO country. He doesn't need that. He doesn't need World War III. But again, Putin is the kind of person where we go, I don't know, maybe he's crazy enough to do this. Maybe. So let's let's calm him down. Let's give him what he wants. Let's, you know, so he's got a he's playing his card, his bluff card, the best that he possibly can. He's going into Ukraine basically because not because he wants the ore that's there and all the mining rights and everything else. He wants a Ukraine for the ports. He's not as much a nationalist. Putin is one of the wealthiest people on the face of the earth. He has raped and pillaged all of the money from the coffers of Russia for decades. And he and his oligarchy that he's got, all the guys there, he's got to deal with all of the oligarchs that he goes like, every time you make a billion dollars, I get half. So he's not as much of a nationalist as people think or want to think he is. He's, he's really a capitalist when push comes to shove, but he is flexing his muscles in such a way that people go, well, maybe he's serious. Maybe we should, you know, consider giving him what he wants, but he's doing this for the ports. Ports are huge. You got the Aegean Sea, the Black Sea, to the Mediterranean, to the Atlantic. And so he can eliminate one of those seas because he doesn't have to go through it if he's got Ukraine because of the coastline that they have. So in my opinion, that's the biggest reason why he wants it. Again, he doesn't want Ukraine because he's some nationalist. Otherwise, he'd go after Georgia as well. Interesting. Mike, your take. Well, you know, what's funny is uh, Pfizer just published a report. They put it on their website about the, uh, the vaccine. They've done some studies of the vaccine and 1,200 people died. They noted tons of autoimmune diseases as a result of the vaccine. I think this, uh, this also kind of covers up, keeps the, the, the talk away from the problem with the vaccines, which is are absolutely huge. I mean, I personally know people that died right after getting the second Pfizer shot. And um, their own studies is showing that uh, it's caused more harm than good. Totally ineffective. I mean, now they're talking about a fourth shot. CNN had a, uh, a thing the other day that they're going to require a fourth shot, which tells you, man, the vaccine's useless. Yeah, it was actually the CEO of Pfizer came out um, talking about the fourth shot and said that, um, that the, the efficacy of the vaccine um, wanes pretty quickly. And by the way, it was last August. I play it on my podcast all the time. Um, Dr. Zelensky came out and said that what we're seeing right now is a worsening of symptoms in people who are fully vaccinated. That's yeah. not me saying it. That is Dr. Walensky of the CDC, the director of the CDC saying it. The CDC has come out and said 94% of all deaths that occurred um, that, are, that are considered COVID deaths had on average of four additional comorbidities, including, in, including Gunshot wounds, knife wounds, suicide, stage four cancer, heart attacks. So, I mean, you know, it, there's conspiracy and conspiracy theory. And there are people who will conspire to do bad things for their own gain, whether it be political or economic. And so I think, Mike, there is some validity to the, to the, um, to the comment that you made with regard to um, the man behind the curtain was about to be seen. And so they need to throw a little light somewhere else and say, hey, don't look over here. Don't pay any attention to the man behind the curtain. It's not what it seems. I mean, the numbers are there. Literally, we are at, if you count all of the deaths, not even taking into consideration the, 
the 94% that the CDC itself said is due to on average of four additional com comorbidities. But if you take all of the deaths based on all of the cases, we're at 1.2%, that is the flu. And that is the flu given the fact that we were never allowed to use and never came up with the, the reports on the efficacy of therapeutics. And so there's a new drug that's being put out by Merck. Merck is also the maker of ivermectin. So Merck in, you know, with, with regard to doing their due diligence, they tested their new drug on 300 people. The new drug says it had an efficacy rate of about 50% as far as reduced morbidities and or uh, mortality and reduced hospitalizations. However, this same, uh, you know, they're not exactly a Republican bastion of conservative values. Merck, this same company, did uh, a, a study with regard to 3,000 people. So 10 times as many people, they did 15 studies actually on ivermectin. And they have de determined that ivermectin has an e efficacy rate of over 60% with regard to keeping people out of the hospital and um, preventing death. And this is Merck doing it. So I'm not saying any of this stuff. This isn't me. I encourage everyone, look up the stuff for yourself. It's all there. So who are you gonna believe? Your lying eyes or what we're being told by the media every day? And again, I'm not trying to be a conspiracy theorist at all, but there are people that are conspiring. And when you're talking about making billions and billions of dollars on a vaccine that is being shown to not be as effective as it's being claimed, you know, is that a reason? Is that enough reason for people maybe to lie about what's really going on? Hey, call it for yourself. I mean, you know, it is what it is. I mean, listen, people got fired over this. My son lost his job because he refused to get the vaccine. Thank God he got a job paying twice as much in New York, but all these people that took it, the issues that they're having, right? cancers. I mean, the cancers rates go through the roof. There were, there were four women, they took it, they were all girlfriends, they took it together, they were in their late 40s, early 50s, and they went together, they got the shot, and they all got the same cancer, and they all got six months to live. Oh, you got myocardia, rates are increasing yes. significantly, heart attacks, which are not being attributed to anything, are increasing um, at, at, at an exorbitant rate. Um, I mean, there's just a lot of things. I, again, I'm not going to come out because I don't have empirical data to show that, yes, the vaccine causes cancer. And why don't we have that data? Because they're not doing those tests. Right. So, you know, all that we can say is, yes, all these people got a vaccine. And yes, all of these people um, got COVID. So those things we know are factual. In fact, we also know that in 2020, when you looked up what a vaccine was in the dictionary, the dictionary um, definition of a vaccine is something that prevented that, that right. actually prevented someone from getting whatever right. disease they're being vaccinated from. Now, miracle of all miracles, that definition has changed. And the definition of a vaccine is a drug that is given to someone that will reduce the symptoms or reduce really? death. They yep. changed the definition of they a vaccine. They changed the definition. Yep. Yes, they did. And it's right. all there to see. You can look at the 2020 dictionary. And you think can look about, at it. Think about all the people that went overseas to fight you know, or different places as the military. They took vaccines because if they didn't, they would get that disease, right? Yeah. So that's why they did it, right? They had to, you know, you're going to certain tropical areas where you don't want to get some sort of really serious thing. You get vaccinated before you go. 
because it's a vaccine. So they changed the definition. Go figure. Yeah, like a malaria vaccine is to prevent you from getting malaria. Yes. You go to Africa, you are getting a vaccine for malaria, which prevents you. It doesn't ease the symptoms, make life a bit easier. It doesn't, you know, make your cough a little bit less coffee. What it does is it's supposed to prevent malaria so that you do not get it. And, you know, they, so they, they conveniently change the definition. And again, you know, it, it sounds like, you know, conspiracy theory crap and which I hate. And, you know, on our podcast all the time, I'm always like, no, I don't want to talk about this. I'm just saying you make the call. All right. So 2022, what's going to happen in 2022? Are the Republicans going to take the house and the Senate? Absolutely. Absolutely. Unequivocally Congress is a done deal in the house. Uh, We've got the 31st candidate actually was uh, uh, Ted Deutsch, not far from here. Uh, A guy in, in full disclosure, I ran against and, um, and then we've got uh, the Senate looks like we're going to take that as well. What we're not going to see is Democrats coming out and crossing party lines and voting for Republicans. That's not how this works. What we are going to see are Democrats staying home and Republicans coming out in droves. The, the, um, the, the protest, if you will, will be Democrats staying home. Democrats don't cross party line very often, ever. All right. So, Mike, your thoughts, you still think they'll be cheating and they'll be. Well, that's the, the, the problem I have is with voter fraud, of course. Look, in the 2020 election, um, no Republican lost their congressional seat and they picked up like 14 additional seats. So tell me how Joe Biden wins this with the most votes ever. It's all these people who 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 either died or whatever, mailed in ballots. It was all mail in balloting. You couldn't prove the balloting. The, the, I mean, it's, you know, Trump was up in every state on election night, every state, you know, that he ended up losing, he was ahead and sometimes hundreds of thousands of votes. It's right. just inconceivable statistically that he could have lost them all. Right. Ed. Well, it's not uh, statistically right. impossible. It's statistically improbable. Right. And that's where they get people. But the truth of the matter is, I mean, look, let's say this is a ballot right here. And let's say I'm going to fill it out. And I'm going to put Joe Biden and I'm not going to put Donald Trump. And so I fill this ballot out. I slide it on in and then it gets counted. Okay. so now what we're going to do, we're going to have a recount. What am I going to do? I'm going to take out this ballot and I'm going to count it again. Therefore, it can't be cheating. I did a recount. You know what? I'm going to do another recount. Let me take this ballot out again and I'm going to count it again. See, Biden, there's no cheating involved. And that's it. I'm not saying that. There was massive cheating because I don't have the evidence. You can only look at it and say, all right, this looks fishy. But what I'm saying is if a ballot is a bad ballot and is put into circulation, if you will, and counted, all that a recount does is recount and further validate that bad ballot as a legitimate ballot. Did that happen? Yeah. Yeah. You make the call. No, no, no proof. Yeah. That's the problem. There's no way, but they'll never be proof just like anything else because then the everything will happen. So President Trump to run, former President Trump, chances of winning 2024, Ed? Oh, 100% if he runs and if he gets a good running mate and he chills out a little bit. But we are so far out a little bit. That. I don't think he's ready to chill out a little bit. No, I think he's going to go a little bit crazy. And that's one of the problems. So we are so far away. And, and, and so when I said that, and I jumped in and said that right away, I'm basing it on the current conditions right now. 
politics being what it is, after the midterms, we'll see what happens. We're going to have a Republican House, Republican Senate. There's going to be a log jam as far as getting things passed because, I mean, Biden doesn't have to sign it. Yeah, I, I bet she was. I bet you Biden okay. does. I bet you Biden does that and does the Clint, pulls a Clinton. He very well may, but it still won't be enough because people are going to remember this. However, you're absolutely right. If Biden does something and then says it's not Kamala, I mean, look at her, what she just came out with. Ukraine is a country in Europe. <laughs> Russia is a bigger country. Russia attacked the smaller country. That is bad. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is our vice president. This is the person we're looking at at saying, yes, this is a leader. The person that was the first person to lose in the Democrat primary. She was the worst candidate of all of them. She's the first one out, got less than 1% of the vote. And this is our vice president. I mean, it's pathetic. So, and, and first of all, the guy's too old to run. I mean, Biden, you know, he, he can barely stand up. I mean, he falls three times going upstairs. When he comes down the stairs every time, and I don't want him to fall, but it looks like he's going to. And But I don't want him to because, I mean, we're already a joke in the world. So Biden, is coming so, out. So, that's, so what I'm saying is, that, as Mike says, Biden will not be president before the end. of. So you see him dropping out by 2022. Mike, I, I, I can't even tell you. I mean, the, the truth is, if I had a crystal ball and, and Mike will tell you, I'm pretty good at predicting politics and what happens in races. But politics being what it is and being as fluid as it is, and with what we have going on now, they're going to have to do something pretty drastic in order to um, save face. And that's the Democrat Party right now. And it doesn't mean Hillary wants to come back. And, you know, she, she's definitely making her uh, presence known. So there's an opportunity for that. And you know what? We should have had Hillary the whole time. And they may push that narrative. I mean, there's a ton of narratives that they could push in order to save face. But as of right now, 2024 is so many political eons away from where we are. We'll get through 2022. We're going to win the House. Absolutely. I think we have a great shot at winning the Senate. And then we'll see what happens from there. Then it's political wranglings. And, you know, it all depends who the Dems are going to put up. Do they decide that that Biden has to go, that he can't run again. And, and he comes up and says, for the betterment of the country, I am now going to back Barack Obama again, Michelle Obama, Hillary Clinton, AOC, never. But I'm just saying, you know, does he come up with something like that? They're going to have to do something like that. What is it going to be? We are so far away from anyone knowing. And, you know, again, Michael, tell you, I am good at picking elections. This one, no one can pick. If anyone does, it's like picking the Super Bowl winner next year. You know, nobody knows for sure. All right, Mike, go back to you. Any thoughts with Trump winning 2024? It comes down to, do you, do you correct the voter for it? In New York, I have a friend of mine who's a former federal agent with me, and he's a junior. And he goes, to, he shows up to vote, and he notices his father's signed in before in the vote. And he says to the guy, hey, that's not my dad's signature. Guy says to him, don't worry about it. Now, he was a registered Democrat his whole life. My buddy says to him, my father died five years ago. He couldn't have voted. Oh my God. So that's the kind of stuff that's going on. So let's, so basically, if we're going towards Trump, whatever, the country, here's conspiracy talk. Ed, don't, Ed doesn't do it on his podcast. Let's see if he believes it's conspiracy or not conspiracy. 
Will there be an alliance formed with certain countries with Russia that is going to change our economic situation? Is that a true thing that's coming out or is that absolute conspiracy where you will see China, India, Pakistan, Afghanistan, all going to a different currency and no longer the U.S. dollar? I think we're a little bit away from like another euro type situation with currency. I mean, what China did, um, uh, it was last year they banned um, mining and use of, of crypto. Crypto is the only thing that they could enact right away. Um, Russia also banned the mining of crypto um, last year and this year. And so I don't see a currency happening. China is in a predicament right now and, and, and uh, Biden is talking to or talked to um, Xi Jinping today and it wound up being um, it's going to be a situation where China is going to have to make a decision. Do you want to lose the biggest customer that you have, meaning us, or, you know, and back Russia, or are you going to pull away a little bit? China is not going to be able to come out. Xi is not going to be able to come out and say, hey, here's the deal. Russia is really bad. They're going to have to temper that a little bit, um, but and which they will. And so I see them, you know, hooking up together. But yeah, Afghanistan, they don't even have an economy. Well, I mean, India, so we're talking about trade. Afghan, India, Pakistan, that's the conspiracy out there. Mike, have you heard that? That they would not, that Russia would no longer trade with us. China would never trade with us. They'd all cut off trade relations and well, trade if, together. If, if, if China cuts off trade relations, they lose their economy. We buy so much from them. Right. Well, they, not only that, we have the absolute advantage yeah. and the comparative advantage with regard to every product that is produced, period. And we are the only nation on the face of the earth. The other ones could kind of do it, but we're the only one that could completely sustain ourselves, the things we need, and have the things that we want. So we can take uh, chip manufacturing from Taiwan tomorrow. And just say, we'll manufacture our own chips. We have the ability to do that. We can sustain ourselves with food. We can obviously sustain ourselves with oil, which is energy. We can sustain ourselves with absolutely everything. And there are too many nations on the face of the earth that depend on our ability to trade with them with regard to a comparative um, advantage that we have in trade. So in other words, a comparative advantage means even though we can make this and we can make this, you guys make this but you don't make this. So what we're going to do is we're going to let you make some of this for us. And we're going to trade you some of this for, you know, for what you're going to give us this way. You have everything you need. We still have everything we need. And that's basically how trade works is with regard to a, um, economically speaking with regard to a comparative uh, advantage. Okay. Final. So we're going to final points uh, that Mike, you heard nothing about this. You said that's not okay. So that's conspiracy talk. That and that's the thing. There's too much conspiracy talk on the right. And I'm going to ask Mike this. I mean, add this question and Mike, too much conspiracy. People are listening to the conspiracists on the right. Is that going to hurt them in 2022 if they constantly, the people are bringing up conspiracy things that are going to happen, things that are outrageous that would never happen, instead of really looking at specifically the issues between the Republicans and Democrats? Yeah, and well, they can't can look at the issues. It's impossible because if they look at the issues, they'll realize that the administration that's in there right now is really their policies suck. And, and the proof is in the pudding. I mean, I had a conversation last night with someone with regard to Trump. They hate Trump and they're so mad at him because of his, you know, his moral bankruptcy 
Yet I said, look, I've never hired anyone based on whether or not they kicked their dog. I would hope they didn't kick their dog. But when I, when I interview someone, I say, look, can you do the job? If you can, then do the job. So um, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't see that we're going to necessarily be in a situation where, where um, you know, Dem Democrats or Republicans are going to go strictly on policy and Democrats can't do it. So what they're going to need to do, and I say this all the time, when you cannot um, discredit the, the actual, um, the message, you have to discredit the messenger. You have to marginalize the guy bringing the message. How do you do that? He's just a crazy conspiracy guy. How are they, they did it with Glenn Beck. Who, by the way, I'm not a huge Glenn Beck fan, but he was like never wrong. He actually had a board that went, look here, 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 there it is. And that's what they're doing now with Tucker Carlson because Tucker's actually saying, no, this is the truth right here. So they're going to do everything they can to marginalize the messenger because they cannot marginalize the Republican message, which right now literally just has to be everything Biden's doing is bad. Mike, anything else to add? No, I think it's great. I think we're good. All right. So MikeVillardiBooks.com. Uh, you check out your book right now. WinningTaxSolutions.com. Yeah. Mike Villardi Podcast of the Mike Villardi, Mike Villardi Show.com as well. Purchase the book right now. And his prediction is right. Ed, you believe his prediction with his book? And Tom, um, here. You know, I, I want to. And, you know, I remember back in the day when we had the Middle East crisis with uh, with Begin and, and, you know, the whole thing there. And I was like, that's it. It's happening here. It's going to be the rapture. And uh, so, you know, I, I, I do my best to live every day the best that I can and, um, you know, hope for the best always. And, you know, but uh, we'll see. All right. Your podcast, Work When Listen. It uh, everywhere. We're on uh, Spotify, Apple, YouTube. I mean, everything. And it's called the primal truth, uh, just the primal truth, but you could Google the primal truth podcast and then pick whichever venue you like listening to. All right. We appreciate both of you guys. Thanks again. Absolutely. Nice to be right. with you guys. All right. Good seeing you guys. All right. That was the Michael Lardy show guys. Take care. Hi everyone. And welcome to Haley's Comet TV. And I am the host, Neil Haley. And I'm excited to welcome my co-host. And this guy is a technology guru. He's worked with companies like Amazon, Netflix, Disney, and all these different places and such technological geniuses in film and television. Richard Grant, Richard, how are you? And I know you're excited about our guest today. Well, thank you so much for that introduction, Neil. I appreciate it. I've been lucky to do some great stuff, and here I am lucky to meet some amazing people. So uh, it's great to be here. Um, this evening, today, we've got the lovely Steve Fossen, bassist um, from Heart. He set them up. He set up the tone. Incredibly famous music, you all know. Recently inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and new work coming out. So really, really looking forward to talking about life, music, and space. Awesome. Appreciate it, Steve, and thanks again for coming on. And uh, Richard, uh, let's just get started. What is our? What is your first question we have for Steve? Well, welcome, Steve. I mean, it's it's really lovely to have you here. I I love all kinds of music, and I have a background involved with projects at Abbey Road and things like that. So it's a real honour to talk with you. Um, I did hear actually that there was a group in England that really inspired you to get involved with music, and I'm sure people would be interested to learn. Who that, who that was and actually if that was anything to do with the British invasion you know how does that work 
Well, I was, you know, let's take it back a, a couple of notches here because when I was really young, I was really into like Elvis and Ricky Nelson, the, the Everly Brothers, you know, and all the girl groups from the day. And uh, they, you know, really, they taught me how to love music and, and appreciate like the harmonies of, of the uh, Everly Brothers and everything. But the group that, that really set me over the top, that really inspired me to go out and, and uh, get a bass and, and start playing was the Beatles. Oh. And specifically Paul McCartney, because he was the bass player. So I thought, that's what I want to do. Uh, wow. Yeah, I mean, as inspiration, you can't go wrong, can you, with the Beatles? No, and uh, with the new Get Back thing that's been uh, that's hit the airwaves in the past month or so, I mean, it's so fascinating to see those those guys that we've all loved all these years and you know we and this the get back thing has kind of changed the narrative as far as you know what we thought because the the uh the relationships on the what was it the uh the album footage from back in the day made it look like everybody was kind of solely and and uh you know kind of uh off you know put off by each other a little bit but this this latest yeah. back thing shows that they were <laughs> having a great time and it's so fascinating to see like we um our band heart by heart we rehearse you know we're we're basically a garage band still we rehearse in a garage and we sit around and we and we rehearse and everybody's real anxious to play the music but then we end up talking a lot just like <laughs> the beatles did in their um that the get back thing and it you know it's fascinating to see you know to talk to see them talk with each other and then I, I i love talking with the people in my band too now steve when you talk about specifically enough the beatles what inspired you the most of the music what kind of kind of just describe the music and how it really made you more and more want to be a musician well like i mentioned earlier that uh the um I love the Everly Brothers and I love the harmonies and uh, John and Paul, of course, had that. And they also had the, the, the addition of John singing, you know, or George singing the third part harmonies and everything. And then when, you know, uh, George or John could sing a lead song and then Paul and the other member would do the background vocals that were, you know, so beautiful and perfect. And uh, I just love two part harmony. I think, two-part harmony is such a pleasing thing to humans and I just really love it so uh, and the Beatles had that they had it in spades and they you know. wow and that's so 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 tr true uh, Richard and it takes a it takes a team Richard as Richard has done in his career behind in film right Richard and TV yeah have everyone I, I, I totally relate to that you know for sure. It's, uh, it's all, I mean, Steve, you know, a band, when you see the Beatles working together and that genius just erupting out between them, and sometimes there were fights, but when you get a collaboration, you get the beautiful thing happen. It's just glorious. Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, and they probably did it better than any other band in history. And I, you know, it, I can't imagine a band in the future doing as much as they have done for, you know, humankind. Definitely. And then that's the, the amazing thing of the Beatles. All right, Richard, we're just continuing this conversation here on Haley's Comet TV. And Richard, what's our next question? 
Yeah, well, so a simple one, this, you know, tell, tell me more, you know, moving forward a little bit in your timeline, uh, uh, tell me a little bit more about, you know, heart by heart and uh, how that's, you know, how that, how that changed things, obviously. Well, um, I was fairly disappointed with, um, with how things were going in, in music and as far as heart and, and Steve Fossum were concerned. So, I was kind of discouraged and uh, I kind of got out of music for, for many years, like from the mid nineties to uh, about 2010 or so. And I was um, actually doing a lot of mountaineering around uh, Washington oh, state, <laughs> which is wow. kind of odd, but cause it's, you know, cause being in a band, it's all, everything you do is so public, but mountaineering, everything you do is it's totally so private and nobody knows about it. So, but it was, really fun in its own way and i really enjoyed uh, hiking with friends and i really enjoyed you know doing adventures on my own but uh back in 2008 uh mike and i were doing a party downtown in seattle and we won and we hadn't played the heart material for years and years and years i mean mike and i lived left the band in 82 and we didn't play heart material hardly at all from, up until 2008 but then somebody requested that we do a few heart songs for this party. So we, we decided to do it, but we needed vocalists and the vocalist that uh, was chosen for us by somebody else was uh, Summer Masick. And that was the first time I met Summer. And uh, I thought she was, you know, very intelligent person and nice and, you know, polite and all the good qualities you'd want out of everybody that you meet and uh and she was also a very good singer so we we did the show and uh it was everything was fine and then over the course of the rest that was february of 2008 and over the course of the spring and the summer and the fall uh summer and i became really good friends and that friendship of course by christmas of uh, 2008 turned into a romance and then we ended up uh uh you know, hanging out together. And then I would play, I'd be playing my bass and, and then it, like if I played, uh, and then she'd start singing. So um, then we'd play like Dog and Butterfly, just bass and vocals or Crazy on You or Magic Man, just bass and vocals. And, and people started hearing about this duo. And so we'd play like uh, uh, parties and dinner parties and then, uh, People, other people heard about it and then we'd start doing jams at different clubs around town and you know we get invited to play you know do our duo at bistros and all that kind of stuff and then other people heard about the duo and then a guy in Alaska uh, a good friend of ours Bob Wynn was putting on a show with Dwight Yoakam and he asked if we would open up the show we said sure amazing yeah yeah so we we thought, well, gee, you know, having a duo is a little light for opening up a rock show. So um, we called up Mike DeRosier, who is the original drummer from Heart, and uh, Randy Hansen, who is a, a really good guitar player that we've known for years and years and years. And we said, hey, we're going to do this show in Alaska. You guys are interested? And they said, sure. So we put together a 45-minute set. And a week before the show, Dwight canceled. So we were all disappointed and everything, but it was, but we had a band and, and we had we had really fun fun time, 
learning these song, learning the heart material and playing together. So we just, you know, every once in a while we schedule a rehearsal. And then another friend of ours put on a show, a benefit show for the Susan G. Komen Breast Cancer Awareness. And they invited us to play. And we went there and we raised a lot of money for Susan G. Komen and uh, the, the, their foundation. And, and it was really successful. And other people saw us and they, and they suggested, and they said to this booking agent we know, hey, the heart by heart, they're, they're pretty good. And uh, so he started booking us around Seattle. And then once you start getting books, you, you, uh, you make a website. And this, and of course, the website does just doesn't stay in, in Washington. It goes all over the world. Right. So then we started getting calls from the East Coast, the Midwest, and the West Coast, and then and then all of a sudden we're playing all over America. Brilliant, brilliant. And uh, the way we came up with Heart by Heart, it was back in the duo days, and it was uh, we tried to think of a name that was had the, the word heart in it, but everything was taken. And then summer. One, was thinking one day, well, here we are, we're a duo. You're sitting here, I'm sitting here. Our hearts are together, so it's your heart by my heart. And and we went with it, so. It had to feel great, Steve, yeah. as a team developing this and growing this, right? From, yeah, it was really from, great. Yeah. And plus we were, you know, in love and everything. And then a couple of years later, we I uh, popped the question and we, and a couple of years after that, we got married, so. Right. Well, it's a lovely story, and 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 to come out of a wonderful invite and that fall fall away, and then that lead to everything else. It's almost like it was meant to happen, you know. Even though the first thing didn't happen, yeah. Fantastic. And, and that's the way I like things to happen in my life, very organically. I think when you try to uh, put things together, you know, when, when when you try to mash stuff that really doesn't fit together, you try to mash it in there somehow. It just doesn't work as good as if you. You know, if one thing leads to another and it's kind of organic and everybody's, you know, work for us. <laughs> organic always works for sure. Or, yeah. Do you agree about that? I think organic oh, works. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it really works. And, you know, and I'm not going to say what super group, but if you think of the super groups they put together where there's fantastic singer, fantastic guitar player, drummer, bass player, keep, you know, all that kind of stuff. When they mash them together, I mean, they come up with some really good stuff, but they they don't necessarily come up with the chemistry that that bands do that 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 meet it, each other. Sometimes you know. it just doesn't yeah. quite fit together. Yeah. Right, it's great, but it's not awesome, you know. And when awesome is happening, and you're in the room with the right people, and you're doing amazing things, it just clicks. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I, I I completely agree, and I think it's the fact is that you look at these super sports teams and stuff, and their problem is you know that you have the best all star team possible, and yet they can't work together. They don't get along together. They all have their egos, and yeah. there you go. And let, instead of finding a team that works together, which we've talked about that theme in so many ways, and so now Richard, organic organic is important. So definitely, let's kind of go into our next question, Steve. Yeah, so absolutely leading on really when things happen, maybe outside of your control. Steve, how do you feel about being inaugurated into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? I mean, that's, that's awesome. Well, <laughs> so I, I, had, uh, I was over at Summer's house and, and I dropped her off at work and I was driving to my house and I heard a, a Yes song and, you know, we, Alan White lives in the Seattle area, so we're really good friends with Alan. And... Uh, and then after that was done, they, 
they played a, a heart song. Ah. And, and I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. Yes, and then heart, you know, and then they say, and we'd like to congratulate Hart for being uh, nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I was driving down the street and I hadn't heard a thing about it. And I just, you know, so, <laughs> and I almost drove off the road. And, uh, you know, of course I welled up with tears and everything like that. And then, you know, a couple of years later, bam, we're inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And it, and it was such a great experience. And it, it, for me, the acknowledgement that the original six, you know, Howard Lease, Roger Fisher, Mike DeRozier, Steve Foss, and Ann Wilson and Nancy Wilson, that original six was the one that they nominated and uh, put into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And it kind of validated all the stuff that I've been thinking all these years about, you know, because the chemistry and the charisma that, that those six people had really made a difference as far as the success of, of Heart. I'm, you know, not, it wasn't just Anne and Nancy in my book. You know. Yeah, it's, and that's exactly, and because of the story, and I know Richard has a question on that of how the band got together. So Richard, you were very intrigued about that. And I am as well about that. So go ahead, Richard. It's, it's always interesting um, to kind of understand the, the foundations of things. So yeah, I think the, the, the honest question is how on earth, how did that all coalesce into something amazing? And when did you start to realize you got something amazing? Well, Roger Fisher and I, we went to the same junior high school and because he's F, Fisher and I'm F. Fawson. We were in the same homeroom. So we became friends. And then uh, we, one thing that we had in common is that we shared our love of, uh, of music and, and how inspiring the music of the day was to us and how we loved sound and lyrics and, and the chemistry and all that kind of stuff. So we, you know, we talked about it for years, a couple of years. And then when we were sophomores in high school, we said, let's get instruments. So Roger got a guitar and I got a bass. And then we kind of went our separate ways. I got in a different band, he got in a different band and we did all this stuff. And then a couple of years later in 1967, we were um, coming to my house, which is within walking distance of the school. And we were in, in my father's office uh, downstairs and we were talking We said, let's start a band. And I know a singer and you know a drummer, so let's start a band. And so let's, and we shook on it and said, we're not stopping until we make the big time. <clears throat> and that's what happened. And that's, and it, more than that, in that story, how you kind of chose the right people to make heart who they are today, right? Being yeah. one of the Well, back, back then, there was a really good singer in our school called Don Wilhelm and Raj knew a good, really good drummer, uh, Ray Schaefer. And we had good chemistry and charisma and all that kind of stuff. But then, um, you know, Roger Fisher and I were so ambitious and you know how ambitious people can kind of, uh, <laughs> kind of uh, make other people feel uncomfortable if they're not, if they don't share that ambition. So, you know, eventually those guys, uh, Ray and Don left the band and we got different people and, and of course, the same thing happened a few times over. And then, uh, so we were, we were stuck and we, everybody in the band had, had kind of got fed up with Roger Fisher and I trying to, <laughs> trying to push him in, you know, push him and push, push, push. We were, that's what we were doing. We weren't mean or anything, but we were very intent on 
Okay, we have to do things right if we want to make it to the big time. So we put an ad in the paper and uh, we had an ad for a drummer, a guitar player and a singer. And the singer that answered the, the call was Ann Wilson. Wow. And uh, so we, everybody met at a, a place over in Bellevue, which is close to Seattle. And uh, needless to say, we all passed the audition. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we, we start, you know, and we, back then it was cover bands. Cover bands were it, you know. Right. Because you play, we played clubs. Sometimes we pull in on a Monday, sometimes a Tuesday, or sometimes a Wednesday. But you'd stay at the same club for the whole week, right? Sometimes two weeks in a row. And uh, what? And that when you did stuff like that, you really got to know the other people in the band, and you really got to know the material that you were working on. And because you were, because to keep up, you always had to learn a couple new songs per month, and and then you did some, you know your favorite songs from the past and then, you know, yeah. And it really taught us how to, uh, you know, learn songs and pay, you know, actually hear what's going on in the song so we could reproduce it and make it, you know, pleasing to the audience. And then we've, you know, and then of course our ambition still was still a problem for some people, but we found a kindred soul in uh, Anne who shared that drive, that ambition to, to take it to the next level. Wow. Wow, Neil, I'd just love to say, Steve, that was so interesting to hear you say that because when you're on these big creative projects, they're very intimate. You know, you, you spend so much time with people, like a rehearsal for music, like on a set, like a production development. You have to get on like a family and it breeds, it engenders this amazing things that happen. Yeah. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. So, so, and during that time, um, you know, Anne fell in love with Roger's older brother, Mike. And so the four of us had this, you know, the core of, uh, of the, the band. And, and we kept gathering people around us until we found as many people who were as, as ambitious and talented and driven as we were. Do you have a crazy story about, you know, touring and that is PG, but something exciting that happened to you. You know how at those during that time period, 70s and 80s rock, we all know, right? Is there different things? Do you have an interesting story you can tell? <laughs> well, I mean, there was an interesting story every day of the week when we were on the road. <laughs> I'm sure. I know on the road because I was a former professional wrestler. So I hit that road in the independent scene, but I know the road is a crazy place. It's crazy. Like, like one time, uh, uh, Mike Drozier, the drummer, was uh, we were just tossing around the frisbee, you know, in a field. We were playing in an outdoor arena and uh, or outdoor, you know, like a festival or fair or something like that. And we were tossing around the the frisbee, and Mike went down to pick up a frisbee, and he broke his hand. Oh. This was just before a gig. Oh. So no. he during the gig he had to wrap his hand, you know, they wrapped his hand in a big gigantic, uh, you know ace bandage or whatever it was and he did the show and he we got through it and not very many people noticed that that mike was hurting because he didn't you know he's pro he's a pro and and but the next day uh we took off in our private jet and went to the next gig and mike went to a doctor who actually put a uh, metal strip in his hand right here which he still has oh. And so for the rest of the tour, he had to, you know, gingerly play, but uh, we made it through. 
it's what I always talk about as a teacher and as a performer 